Happy Labor Day. Let's labor and stand up. <laughs> and sing. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a, a future and a hope. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful passage. A passage spoken to a prophet who was going to go through a lot of difficulties. But Father, he needed to know that you were with him, and you were, and it helped him endure. Father, I pray this morning that whatever we're dealing with in life, that we can understand that you have a plan, and it's for our good, not for our destruction. Lord, we're thankful we can come together this morning to worship. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Man, it's good to see everybody today. We're gl I'm glad you come here to worship with us today. We're here to lift up Jesus together. Amen. Amen. And we're so glad you're here to do it. You know, this is a wonderful church, and we're glad that you're, that you're here with us today. This morning, before we continue with our song service, make sure you fill out your connection card for sometime during the service. For those of you who are watching online uh, who couldn't get up this morning or maybe aren't feeling well, uh, make sure you fill out your connection card for us also because we like to keep in touch with you. But this time, if you would like to be seated, uh, we're going to continue to lift up the Lord in song together.
many of us here today believe that God is in control? Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, we got a Yahoo. Got some pretty enthusiastic amens. You know, it's easy to trust God. It's easy to trust that God is in control when things are going well, firing all cylinders, and going the way that we want them to and the way we planned them to. Isn't that easy? I mean, that's awesome. Praise the Lord when the stars align and all that happens. But what about when that's not the case? Can you, with the same enthusiasm, shout out a big amen when things aren't seemingly going well, when they're not firing on all cylinders and not the way you planned? Is God still in control? Can I get an enthusiastic amen? <laughs> That was fake. <laughs> Habakkuk was in a position where he questioned if God was paying attention. He was looking at the world around him. He saw the evil that God's people were doing. He wasn't even talking about the other nations. He was talking about God's chosen people. Habakkuk wondered why God wasn't doing anything about what Habakkuk was seeing happening around him. Do you believe, God, do you believe that God's in control? Well, I do, but it's amazing how many times I'll ask people, do you believe that God is in control? Yeah, but. Hmm. See, you either do or you don't. There's no but. But means you don't. See, Habakkuk saw the world around him and wondered. He was really wondering, is God in control? God gave Habakkuk an answer. But that answer brought more questions. How can God do that? How can you take people who are more evil than your own nation and use them to punish your people, God? Habakkuk was full of questions, questions, questions. One of the goals of our faith should be to trust that God has a plan no matter what we see before us or no matter what we experience. See, God is either involved or he's not. He's not sort of. How can we get to the point in our lives that when asked or pondering whether God is in control, we can say, yes, he is, amen, no matter what is going on around us? Now, I realize when things are going difficult, it's probably not going to be quite as enthusiastic, but it still should be there. There should not be, well, God is in control, but, or except. We can know God is in control, and has a plan to the point that we understand that no matter what's going on, we can, we can trust in that fact. We can know that God has a plan, that God is in control. <clears throat> the problem that we're going to have, honestly, in life is we may not like that plan. It may not be what we want it to be. But outside of that, even if I don't like it, I still have to know that God is in control. Because if I don't, my world loses focus my faith loses its anchor. And when things get difficult, it's really easy to really just turn from God. Today we're going to examine Habakkuk chapter 3, the first 16 verses. And as we look at this passage, we're going to glean some principles that will help us to get to the point in life where hopefully we can say, even when it's good or even when it's bad or somewhere in between, that at the very least, we can give an amen to the fact that God is in control. The big idea to the message is this this morning. 
Remembering God's faithfulness in the past is a key to navigating difficult seasons in life. Seeing God's faithfulness in, our, in the past, in our lives, and in the lives of others encourages us that we can trust him in the present and with our future. So let's, look, let's open the word together. We'll be in Habakkuk chapter 3. We'll begin in verses 1 and 2. It says this. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Lord, I have heard the report of what you did. I am awed, Lord, by what you've accomplished. In our time, repeat those deeds. In our time, reveal them again. But when you cause turmoil, remember to show us mercy. So if we're going to be able to get to a point where we can trust God with our present and our future, the first thing we really have to do is we have to remember who God is. That has to be in the forefront of our mind. See, Habakkuk begins this prayer in chapter 3 by acknowledging God's sovereignty and his power. Because, see, if you don't believe that God is sovereign and you don't believe that God is all-powerful, you can throw a butt in there every time you say he's in control because you can think of areas that he can't be in control of. When we lose sight of who God is, we forget what he can do. What situation are you facing where you would say that God is in control and has a plan, but what situation? What situation in your life can you acknowledge that God is in control and has a plan, but what situation are you facing that's bigger than God? See, the situations you face will determine the size of your God. And I'm not saying that when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about getting the results you want, but understanding who's in control. What situation are you facing that you've written God off because it looks so bad that you're like, you know what? God doesn't have a plan for my marriage. God doesn't have a plan for my job. God doesn't have a plan for this. See, Habakkuk looked around him and he wondered. And to his credit, he took it to God, wondering, do you care? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? See, we have to remember something about God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he was sovereign, he is sovereign. If he was all-powerful, he is all-powerful. Despite the circumstances, <clears throat> we can find peace and strength knowing that he's in control, even in some of the most difficult things that we face in life. <clears throat> in times of uncertainty, we must remind ourselves of his attributes, of his love, his faithfulness, and his wisdom. Because if we discount those things, we're going to fall apart and crumble when things get difficult. It's understandable to face situations where we may question whether God's in control or has a plan because it looks really, really bad. But when we get to that point, when you question whether God's in control and in command and has a plan, does that bring you peace? If you don't think God can help your marriage and your marriage is struggling, does it bring you peace thinking that God can do nothing? or your health, or whatever's going on in your life, if you don't believe that God has a purpose and a plan, you're, gonna, you're not going to have peace. It's important, however, to remember that God is bigger than your situation. Your situation is not bigger than God, because if your situation is bigger than God, there, that's your God. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and capable of working in ways that surpass our understanding. Even in our darkest times, 
God's sovereignty remains unchanged. No ruler, no disease, no situation changes that. When you find yourself facing an overwhelming situation, I encourage you to take a moment to reflect on God's character. Remind yourself of his faithfulness throughout history and in your own life, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Remember his love is unwavering, his wisdom is perfect, and his plans are for your ultimate good. Instead of writing off God because the situation looks bad, choose to trust and seek his guidance. Because if you're facing difficulties, remember, though I, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're walking through those times, you will draw comfort and strength from knowing that God is in control. The passage that we opened with earlier with, with Jeremiah, man, Jeremiah was going to go through some horrific stuff at the hands of God's people, no less. But what kept Jeremiah on track? Knowing that God is ultimately in control. That didn't shield him from the difficulties, but he was able to endure and continue because of he had that peace knowing who God is. He knows who God is. We have to remember that God's perspective is always greater than ours. He can bring beauty and redemption out of the most challenging circumstances that we face in life. Just as Habakkuk questioned and wrestled with God, bring your doubts and concerns before him because it's okay. God didn't slap down Habakkuk. God didn't throw a lightning bolt at Habakkuk. God didn't toss Habakkuk into hell for struggling. He answered him. He answered him. Seek God's presence and allow him to reassure you of his control and his faithfulness. In times of uncertainty, hold on to the truth that God is with you, that his plans for your life are ultimately for your good and his glory. And also remember, this is not the only life we live. We've got eternity. It's going to be beautiful. And I know we talk about that, and honestly, probably none of us, for the most part, until we get so bad in our health, we're like, okay, I'm ready to go. Even though we want to hold on to this life, we hold on to it because, for the most part, even with all the nastiness and ugliness, it's beautiful. But what God has waiting is even better. You can find peace and strength and renewed trust in God as you remember who he is and lean on his unchanging character. He is the same today, excuse me, yesterday, today, and forever. He holds your situation in his capable hands. We have to trust that because if you don't, when you're going through those difficult times in life, they'll crush you because what hope do you have other than God? What hope do you have other than God? God is the one who can handle it. But you got to, first of all, to be able to get there, you got to remember who he is. Habakkuk begins chapter 3 with another prayer. He starts by saying that he heard all the great works of God, and he's in awe of them. He knows God is all-powerful. He knows he's all-seeing. He knows he's all-knowing. He understands what God has told him through their communication. He understands that difficult days are ahead. God didn't say, it's going to be a bed of roses, Habakkuk. You're going to love this. Quite the opposite. But Habakkuk, through all that, says, I've heard of what you've done in the past. Show it now. I know calamity's coming, but in your wrath, remember mercy. In other words, Habakkuk's not telling God, don't do it, but he's saying, just remember your mercy, because I'm trusting your mercy to get through this difficult situation with the Babylonians as they come in and they're going to do horrific things. 
If you're going to be successful in trusting God, you have to look back and remember who he is. Because if you don't, you really don't have a chance to get through it. The next thing we see as we look at verses 3, we're going to turn to verses 3 through 15. It says this. God comes from Tima, the holy one from Mount Parah. His splendor covered the skies. His earth is full of, of his glory. His brightness will be as lightning. A two-pronged lightning bolt flashes from his hands. This is the outward display of his power. Plagues will go before him. Pestilence will march behind him. Boy, isn't that encouraging? He took his battle position. He shook the earth. With a mere look, he frightened the nations. The ancient mountains uh, disintegrated. His primal hills are flattened. His are ancient roads. I saw the tents of cushion overwhelmed by trouble. The tent, the, the tent curtains of the land of Midian were shaking. Was the Lord mad at the rivers? Were you angry at the rivers? Were you enraged at the seas? Such that you could, would climb into your horse-drawn chariots, your victorious chariots? Your bow is ready for action. Your commission, your arrow, you commission your arrows. You cause flash floods on the earth's surface. When the mountains see you, they shake. The torrential downpour sweeps through. The great deeps shout out. It lifts its high hand. The sun and the moon stand still in their courses. The, the flash of your arrows drives them away. The bright light of your lightning quick, uh, lightning quick spear. You're fu you furiously stomp on the earth and you angrily trample down the nations. You march out and deliver your people to deliver your special servant. You strike the leader of the wicked nation, laying him open from the lower body to the neck. Woo! You pierce the heads of the warriors with a spear. They storm forward to scatter us. They shout with joy as if they were plundering the poor with no opposition. But you trample the sea with your horses on the surging, raging rains. So if we're going to be able to trust God with our present and our future, we need to recall the, acts, the past acts of God. Habakkuk's going to go deep into the playbook to the past actions of God. You know, Google reviews are something powerful and confusing, to be honest. You know, you ever look for a hotel room and they'll say, the greatest thing ever, and boy, this is just a dung, a dung heap here. I can't believe anybody would stay here. But many people look to reviews when choosing vacation resorts, a new restaurant, a doctor, a plumber, a product, or even a church. We tend to ask friends and those we trust about their experiences. We want to know we want to know about the experiences that other people had. Why do we do this? Well, because sometimes we feel, even though the commercials say likewise, that past performance can be a good indicator of future results. It's funny on investing. Yes, you can gain 48% on your investment. Past results, don't, you know, but anyway, you've heard that. In the same way, when we have a great experience about something, we're typically eager to tell others about it, aren't we? If you go to a great restaurant or had an incredible vacation, did you tell someone about it? Most likely. Most likely that answer is yes. The same principle is true with our faith. See, the Bible is a story of the redemption of mankind. It's a story of God's holiness. It's a story of God's faithfulness throughout history. When we read the scriptures, we can see his faithfulness throughout scriptures. We can see that he can be trusted 
But sometimes we forget that our testimony is powerful as well. Revelation 12, 11 says, tells us that the enemy is overcome by the blood of the Lamb, Christ crucified, and, our, and, and the word of our testimony. Seeing God's faithfulness in the past situations gives us hope for present and future. When you look back at your own life and you've seen what God has done, have you ever just taken note of it? See, Habakkuk, when he's really struggling with what's going to happen, he looks back on the past acts of God, and he's drawing inspiration from Israel's history. In Habakkuk 3, the prophet reflects on past events to demonstrate God's mighty acts of deliverance for the people of Israel. While these events mentioned are not, not, <clears throat> not excuse me, are, <clears throat> are not explicitly specified, they're not explicit, explicitly specified, scholars believe that Habakkuk, what he's doing, that he's going and draws inspiration from the historical moments in the nation of Israel, from the Exodus from Egypt <clears throat> to the conquer of Canaan, to the victories that Israel had over its enemies, such as the defeat of the Midians by Gideon. So Habakkuk goes into the playbook and says, okay, I need to draw from what you've done in the past. These references remind Habakkuk of God's faithfulness and his power throughout the history of the nation. The exodus, the conquest of Canaan, and the many other victories remind us of God's faithfulness. Remembering what God has done in the past builds our confidence for his ability to intervene in our present situation and in our future. We can take comfort in knowing that God is in control, that he's the same God who delivered the ancestors, he will deliver you also. When you're as you live your life, have you taken time to note things that God has done for you? It's something worth doing, because one day you, need to, you may need to draw from that. <clears throat> Verses 3 through 16 recall those incredible events that God had done. Habakkuk reminds himself as he's pondering, as he's questioning, as he's struggling, that God has been faithful to the past generations. He makes a list and he writes them down. The beautiful thing about what, he is do what he's doing is it can be remembered from generation to generation following Habakkuk. Habakkuk wrote these things down. We are reading these things right today and we can draw strength and encouragement from them to see that God made promises to Israel and he kept them. This makes Habakkuk chapter two and verses two and three even more powerful. When, when God told him to write this down so future generations will know what I said and I did what I, did what I said. And so in your life, what are you writing down? What are you pondering? What are you able to draw from when you're going through that difficult time in life? What are some things that God has done in your past that can, you can say, you know what? Man, he got me through that. I didn't think that was possible. And he can get me through this also. Let's look at chapter 3 and verse 16. <clears throat> I listened and my stomach churned. The sound made my lips quiver. My frame went limp as if my bones were decaying. I shook as I tried to walk. I longed for the day of distress to come upon the people who attack us. So, the third thing we do is we have to trust God with your future and roll with the punches. <laughs> Habakkuk, man, the events that were heading toward Habakkuk were not going to be comfortable and they were not going to be fun. Look at the language he uses in verse 16. I listened and my stomach churned. The sounds made my lips quiver. My frame went limp as my bones were decaying. I shook as I tried to walk. And I longed for the day of distress to come upon those people who attack us. 
So what Habakkuk's doing is he's displaying a remarkable, even though it looks like he's really broken, he's really not. He's terrified of what's coming, but he knows that God is going to get him. He knows what God's going to do needs to be done, even though it's not going to be pleasant, even though it's not going to be comfortable. Despite impending calamity and uncertainties, he chose to trust God wholeheartedly. Because if you take out the last part of that passage that seems kind of vindictive, he is saying, I'm terrified, but I know God's going to take care of this. I know that these people are going to pay, and I know that the nation of Israel will come out better for it because God has a plan, and that plan is not going to be pleasant. His trusting God empowered him to face the difficulties confidently, knowing that God is in control. Habakkuk shows us that trusting God doesn't mean that we will be exempt from challenges or hardships. You notice God didn't say, okay, when, these, when, when the Chaldeans, when the Neo-Babylonians, the Babylonians come into town, man, the good ones, you guys are going to be okay. I'm going to make sure you're protected. You're not going to have to face any of this. I'm just going to build a wall around you. You're going to be good. No, Habakkuk's going to suffer with everybody else. And, and you're like, man, that seems unfair. Okay, I kind of agree with you on that one. But once again, as I've said before, this isn't the only life we live. And so God has a bigger plan. See, trusting God enables us to navigate through trying times with a sense of peace and assurance. When we surrender our plans and our desires to God and place our trust in his perfect will, we align ourselves with his purposes and we open ourselves up to his guidance, his provision, his plan, his purpose. No longer do I determine if God is active by, did he do what I wanted to do, when I wanted it, how I wanted it, how I planned. I'm able to see the bigger picture and know that he's there. You know, quite honestly, folks, we're facing some uncertainty today. We're facing a lot of it. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff the last few years that have just made things uncertain. And you know, the funny thing is, this can be said of almost every generation. Embracing uncertainty is not easy. But through these uncertain times, God often works most powerfully. And we have to remember that. As a nation, we're facing some very trying and difficult times. But that's when God can really show who he is. God has a plan. When we let go of our need for control and allow God to lead... We position ourselves to experience his faithfulness, to see his plans unfold in ways that we could have never imagined. And we can just sit back and say, wow, wow. Like Habakkuk, let us be willing to, to trust God and roll with the punches. That's essentially what Habakkuk's verse 16 was about. God, I trust you. Whatever comes, comes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just get through it. We need the courage to surrender our own, our own agendas and cling to God's sovereignty. Doing so, we can find strength, we can find peace, and the joy of experiencing his presence amid the storms of life. And that's what we need when we're facing those storms. Let me tell you something. You can choose not to trust God, you can choose not to believe he's in control, and you're, that's your right. But do you want to experience peace? Peace that surpasses all understanding? You're not going to get that from not trusting God. You're not going to get that from not trusting God. I have to remind myself of that at times. There's some unpleasant things I face and you face, and you think, wow, this isn't the way I really want it to go. I'm miserable. But then you've got to say, okay, 
Jeff, is God in control? He either is or he isn't. And if I believe he is, even if I don't necessarily like what's going on, God's in control. We can find peace and strength and joy, and we can get through that difficult time. I hope we're inspired by Habakkuk's unwavering faith to learn to trust God's sovereignty, to surrender our plans, to embrace the uncertainty. In doing so, we can position ourselves to witness God's incredible work in our lives. I'll let Alexa finish up. Um, Our application for this morning is this. Think of ways to remember God's faithfulness. Write them down. Tell other people. Revisit these things when you're discouraged and when you're struggling with your own faith. Has God instructed Habakkuk to write down the vision in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2? So we would do well to write down the things that God reveals to us, the things that show God's faithfulness. This can be done a number of ways. You can do it by journaling and writing in the margins of your Bible to help you remember the things in the past. Some people don't think you can write in the Bible. Well, you can. Even the electronic ones, you can write in them, you know, type in them. A Chinese proverb says the faintest ink is more powerful than the strongest memory. And I thought about that. I thought, man, that's pretty clever. That's a powerful truth. Ask yourself, how many memories or thoughts have you had that are now forgotten because they weren't written down? like what you had for supper last night. Funny things your children said or did. Meaningful things family members said or did. Many times we look at our loved one's old Bible or our own, and we can read the notes in the margins, and we can remember the goodness of God, and our faith is encouraged. It's even easier in today's world with all the technology we have at our fingertips, because if I write it down, I'm not going to be able to read it. I'm going to need the Holy Spirit to guide the reading of it. Writing blogs, documents, digital notebooks, even social media helps us to remember things of the past. It's kind of cool on Facebook when memories come up. And you're like, wow, and it brings a smile to your face. This week, take the time each day to jot things you're thankful for, things that God has done. Write down your testimony. When I took personal evangelism class many, many years ago in Bible college, one of the things they wanted us to do was write down our testimony. And for some, that was really hard because they were, well, you know, I was born in a Christian home, went to church, became a Christian, been one my whole life at that time in college. And the professor told us, he said, if you've got that testimony, that's a powerful testimony because it helped keep your life in order. God has been doing good things in your life. A lot of times we think they have a good testimony. Well, you know, I was a crack addict and, you know, I used to, I I had a gambling addiction and you know, blah, 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 and, and look where I am, and I, used, I was in the mafia, you know, and I whacked a bunch of people, and look, here I am today, I'm, I'm standing before you. Those are cool to hear, but that's not the only testimony. You may think your testimony's boring, but it's not, it's powerful. Write it down and share it, because people need to hear it. Take notes in church when you hear things you need to hear. You never know when these moments may be the very thing you need to read or hear in the future. In times of uncertainty, it is crucial to remember who God is, to remember his past acts, and to trust him with our future while as we roll with the punches that life brings us. Our faith and trust in God will sustain us through every hardship and every trial. Let us hold fast to his promises because he's faithful and he will never leave us and never forsake us. At this time, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never put your trust in him, 
Today we offer you the opportunity to do that. We have a God in heaven who loves us. He loves you so much that he, his son went to the cross for you so you could have eternal life. And this morning, if that's what you need, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And also, if you're struggling and just need some prayer, need some, just need some prayer, come forward. I'd be glad to pray with you. One of our elders, Roger, would. But if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to stand and sing, only trust him. And my hope is that you'll do that. Let's stand and sing.
Paul is writing <clears throat> in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, we just sang about it, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up from, uh, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith not, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Tomorrow is Labor Day. Today is set apart to honor and celebrate work, labor, what we do to get ahead in this old world. Work is important. There was a day when parents taught their children to be productive and not expect others to care for and provide for themselves, for them. I look back on that day. The more you worked, the more chance you had of being successful in life, of obtaining the good life. And that is how it has been in this world, and that is a good thing. But somewhere along the line, we have allowed this perspective, this ideal, to creep over into our spiritual lives as well. I would venture to say that the majority of people in our society, even in our world, have succumbed to Satan's trap of believing that the way to be successful in the spiritual life the way to get to heaven, if you will, is to work hard, do as many good deeds as you possibly can, and the way to get to heaven is, in other words, to work your way in. Well, as the old boy said, that just ain't so. The communion speaks of work, but not our work. We are not saved through the good works as our text through good our good works as our text in Ephesians tells us. It is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. When we come to the table of the Lord, the table of communion, and we participate in this time, we are reminded of the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. We are reminded once again that our works have nothing to do with it. It is through the work done by Christ and him alone that we are saved.
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Our Labor Day is the day that Jesus died for us on the cross. We celebrate it each day, first day of each week, rather, as we come together in sweet communion with our worker who put forth his sacrificial work to provide the reward, even heaven, for us. Thank him for his labor, his labor, as you participate today. Thank you, our Father, for the work that Jesus did on the cross to provide a means whereby we can be saved and reunited with you. Thank you for the forgiveness and your acceptance of us through Jesus' work. In his name. I see Jerry back there. Are you having youth tonight? Okay. Um, this, today, we've got our events for today. There'll be no youth activities this evening. Roger's group is meeting tonight. Uh, Labor Day, the church office will be closed. Lori's uh, Bible study starts Wednesday. 
Uh, the narrow path is meeting Saturday here at, at 8 o'clock. We're going to leave at 8.30. We're going to go to the Total Rec Mine and spend some time there. The Sunshine Ladies will be going to Culver's. Um, we're accepting donations of items for Peach's Pantry, and you can see the note about that. Operation Christmas Child's looking for small toys. It's in the bulletin. Our next prime time is going to be, going to be at the Golden Dragon on September 15th at 6.15. So there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and I'll make sure that the online one is updated also. Uh, Larry and Brenda have a, have a uh, note about traveling to Israel, and so if you are interested in doing that, make sure that you uh, co connect with them. On the back side of your bulletin, we have our prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. I want to thank you for everyone who volunteers at First Christian. It's really great to be in a church that has so many people active in the church, because I know some of my friends have in, in churches that don't have that. So every ministry that you serve behind the scenes up front is a real blessing. Also, uh, I usually don't point people out, but I'm embarrassed of Ruth Levette. Ruth's been skipping church for, what, a long time now? <laughs> no, Ruth, Ruth was in a bad accident. Gosh, has, has it been a year? It, it seemed almost a year ago, and it's good to see her back with us. She's tough, I'll tell you what. Don't meet her in a dark alley. But... <laughs> But uh, anyway, we're so thankful to see her. Be in prayer for Ken Martin. He's recovering from surgery. Roger Snyder. I can't remember which rehab facility he's in right now, but he's re recovering. What's that? I want to say it's life care, but I'm not sure about that. Keep in your prayers, Trudy's and life care. I think Roger's in Tucson at one of the care centers. Um, we have troops who are deployed, shut-ins. We're praying for West Santa on the West End stocking project. That's going to be gearing up here soon. And we're, we're lifting up all the missions that we support this month. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll give you a moment to uh, have a silent prayer, and then I'll close us in prayer, and our praise team will lead us in a song this morning. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we're thankful that we could be together today, and we thank you for all the prayers lift up. Lord, we're so thankful to see Ruth with us, and Father, we ask for a special prayer for Chuck Allen. He and his wife are here with us today, and just pray, Lord, that you bring them, get them what they need to get through this time. Father, I just pray that as we leave this place, we do so with conviction and with joy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, he lives Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to
rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujah to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. No other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to for church this morning. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.